0: Hi, I'm your host, Darren, and welcome to the First Generations Podcast, the show where we dive into the personal experience and knowledge of individuals that pave their path to success on their own terms. From entrepreneurs, professionals, and beyond, we will learn what it takes to walk through their journey and what it means to be first generation. Coming up in this episode,
1: a, a couple of personal health issues happened, and I discovered yoga. So, because of my busy practice, very successful single woman, I had six people on payroll. I had like, I was the healer, but I was also this business person. So I started having stress and anxiety and insomnia. So I discovered yoga for me. But the way it helped me was so transformational that I would incorporate some of the yoga postures that I was learning into therapeutic exercises that chiropractors give to patients anyway, and I started seeing much more deeper results and faster results with my patients.
0: Welcome to the First Generations Podcast. Today's guest is board certified in integrative medicine and a doctor of chiropractic and ayurvedic medicine, an ayurvedic yoga therapist, and as well as a certified Hatha yoga master teacher. She has been in private practice in Beverly Hills, California in the field of holistic medicine as a health and wellness expert with more than 25 years of hands-on clinical experience. She is also an author and a speaker, and whenever she has the opportunity to speak, hearts open and minds are inspired. Our guest deeply cares about her patients and clients and is passionate about healthcare and bringing awareness to a wellness model versus a disease oriented model commonly found in Western medicine. With a holistic approach, a profound understanding and knowledge of the human system and the mechanics of wellness and health, She has helped many of her patients and clients gain optimal health and well-being. With extensive training in India and in the field of yoga sciences, she has mastery in transmitting yoga and meditation, making her programs highly sought after and attended by many from all walks of life. She believes that a long-term care involves treating the whole person physically and spiritually and is fundamental in her approach to attaining balance and well-being, both physically and spiritually. I am honored to present you our guest for today, Dr. Atusa Madabi. Hi, Atusa. How are you doing?
1: Hi, Aaron. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me.
0: And I want to thank you for coming on to the show. And I'm super excited for you to come on. I definitely have a lot of questions like lingering in my mind. (laughs) Yeah, I guess the first getting started, given our current situation, what is something you're most excited about in your life right now?
1: The most excitement, yes. There are many things, but I feel like being in the holistic health field yes. and always wanting to educate the public about the amazing power of the body to heal itself, the amazing capability of the human uh, system to self-regulate, self-maintain, and repair. And it is something that has become a much more relevant topic Uh, during the pandemic and, you know, it continues to be that way just because people have really now taken a harder look at their health and their lifestyle and what makes them more immune and what makes them more vulnerable to this viral uh, situation or the pandemic or the viral infection. So I'm excited that I now have more ears opened
0: to what I have to
1: say and what I have to share and there is more interest and there is more genuine interest which makes me very excited to live during this time and to share my expertise and my knowledge to help people achieve their optimal health, vitality and wellness which is um, the same way that you boost your immunity Yeah, because the body is a system. So I'm very excited about the fact that I have, you know, a broader audience that is seeking my advice and people like me in the healthcare. But at the same time, I have a couple of books that are coming out. Oh. Yeah. So maybe by the time you, you know, air this episode, maybe by then it will already be on Amazon. But I have a publisher, so they're going through the final edits. And I have to, of course, review their final edit. And yeah, so I'm excited about my books. Um, one actually is going to be on Amazon in March. Oh, okay. That's an anthology book, which is called The Entrepreneur's Cure. Yes. And uh, I'm one of the authors in the anthology book. Uh, it's a candidate for a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Ooh, wow. Yes, yeah, so I'm very excited about that. And then my my book, uh, which is Holy You, yes. that is the one that will be coming out in April sometime in April or very early May we'll see
0: Ah, that is so exciting and I'm very grateful and glad to hear like about these projects obviously that you have going it, it is definitely how would you say it? it's awesome progress right just being able to, again again the way I look at it too you're doing your part to help advance and make people aware of the whole uh, holistic aspect of things because I, I again in the intro I think in the west it's not very highly adopted or even aware right?
1: Mm-hmm. very true yeah, yeah
0: Absolutely. so from a career aspect you obtained your doctorate in chiropractic medicine first so was this something you knew you wanted to pursue at a very young age
1: absolutely not no nope. <laughs> no absolutely not and that is why I all like you know I also mentor and so here's the thing a lot of my patients are millennials yes and I mean for many years like for a few years now and a lot of them, like when they were in their early 20s, they would ask me for mentorship too because they still didn't know what they wanted to do. Like I even have 18 years old and 19, 20. Here's the thing, sometimes things open up to you and your calling and what is the thing that you really are meant to, to do will come to you, not in your childhood. In, in, as it, yes, there are some of us, that know exactly what they want to do, where they want to go, and what they want to be as a child. More power to them. But some of us know. I mean, as a child, I wanted to become an astronaut. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I wanted to become an astronaut. And that is why in my country of origin, which is Iran, you actually choose a major in high school that prepares you for your future career and university. Yes. And because of that vision of astronaut, I actually chose math and physics for high school, which is the hardest topics. And and you have to be a very good student and you have to be like this, whatever, very smart kid and nerd.
0: Super competitive too, right?
1: Math and physics?
0: Super competitive, I would imagine.
1: In in university. Yeah. In university. Okay. Not in high school. No, in high school, as long as you had a certain grade point average and also your grades in math and science was good in junior high yes. then you will go there is no competition then you will enter into math and physics ah. but then university would be very competitive in that field
0: Ah, oh, i see i think this is one thing that a lot of people don't talk about where when we're in our early 20s we we're expect to have things figured out and i think you're gonna have a lot of similarities in what I'm thinking of looking at how the universe works uh, we can say there's a higher being or whatever it is, but like life has its very interesting ways of panning things out for you.
1: Yeah. But here's the thing though, as a child, even though I wanted to become an astronaut, but in fact, I started my chiropractic career as a child. Oh. Wait, hold on. <laughs> so I say that like facetiously, yeah. but, but here's the thing. So, you know, in traditional cultures, a lot of times your grandpa- grandparents live with you. Mm-hmm. you know, when they're older, etc. Uh, I was very close to my grandpa. And when he passed away, I was four years old. But at that time, nobody explained it to, to, to me where he went, what happened. He just disappeared one day.
0: Yeah,
1: and yeah. that triggered a sense of curiosity in me. So then when I was six, my grandma who had rheumatoid, I would see her, you know, massaging her joints with ointments. Mm -hmm. and I was so intrigued with old age with the way they moved with deformities in her hand and I would ask her what you know what is that and she would explain it to me then I would offer to massage her joints with the same ointment then when I was 12 my dad lifted up the same grandma off of bed and threw out a disc in his lower back then I started working on him with my feet and my hands it was very intuitive to me, but I didn't know there was a profession and it was, for me, I had this fantasy about astronaut, yes. being an astronaut. But in fact, I had already, see the thing is, this was always my calling, I just didn't know, yeah, and I yeah. didn't know that there is a profession, or I didn't even feel like I wanted to do it as a profession, as a kid, even though I was just naturally doing it. You see uh, what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah and so when you know situations like that presented themselves like family members you know etc that I would just offer to do some help even without any training yeah you know, growing up and so I mean I don't want to give you a very long answer but then when I when I went when I finished high school I came here go to college and you know when I talked to my counselors if you had to be an astronaut, you had to fly, like you learn how to fly, you know, uh, aircraft. And then you had to be either in the army, like it made it was so like something I just wasn't into mm-hmm. the process of becoming it that I realized that was just a fantasy. You know, I didn't want to like, you know, learn how to fly like, an aircraft. I just wanted to be in a spaceship and just go, you know, like <laughs> a rocket. <laughs> And so then, because of my in- background in math and science, the first thing counselors will tell you is that also, like, you could be an engineer, like computer science or electronic engineering or something like that. So I took a couple of courses in those in college, and I absolutely hated them.
0: Oh, whoa.
1: hated Like, no, this is not for me. So... Then my counselor said, them, what do you like to study? I said, I love biology, physiology, chemistry, physics, and math, but but I don't like to work with machines. I like to work with humans. So she tells me, okay, then health sciences. Okay. So I took all of my pre-med courses for medicine in college. And when it was time to transfer, she presented with me with my counselor, like medical school and then Certain things happen, and maybe your other questions would take me there. Okay. To what happened okay. that I actually chose chiropractic. There were a few things that actually linked the dot for me to choose chiropractic.
0: I definitely find that very interesting. And I guess with chiropractic too, like like you said, I think many of us don't even realize or many of us neglect, and I, including I myself. There's things that we're naturally good at. There, like you said, like things were naturally presented early on in life, and we've always been doing. But somehow, it's always been neglected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I guess my next question is, right off the top of my head, what about being an astronaut really captivated you to pursue that idea and thought? Was it was it the fact of you being in space, you being an explorer, like being one of the first? Like being a pioneer in space or like what, no, what is it, it
1: wasn't about being a pioneer yeah it was about being in space because I, just... I was fascinated by the space and the stars and the galaxies you know a lot of times in summers we would you know as a culture we would yeah. sleep yeah. in our yards in, mm. in the you know in the yard uh, under the open sky or on your roof on your rooftops yeah and yeah. I used to fall asleep just gazing at the stars and shooting stars I mean the air was so clean at the time and I was just fascinated then I don't remember exactly like when I was six or seven I don't remember we were watching the news when uh, an American was landing on moon oh okay you know I don't remember which rock which Apollo was it it was or what was one of the Apollos and then I got so much more fascinated with that like to be in space, yeah. you know, and exploring the other planets and things like that. I think that's what was the intriguing part of, for me.
0: Uh, that's pretty cool. And you know what? With our day and age, and with obviously with Elon Musk and SpaceX, the progress we're making, it's uh, you, you never know. Maybe maybe ten, twenty years down the road, like you, you could see yourself being a holistic medicine practitioner
1: in space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we shall see. We shall see. Even though I'm. I'm such a environmentalist now that mm-hmm. Elon Musk's idea of sending forty-two thousand—that's his uh, mission—forty-two thousand satellites in the space for me is a no-no. Like I'm totally up in opposition.
0: Do you feel that kind of conflicts with in our world? Like satellites aren't meant to fly around, right? Like, no. and it it definitely like from a scientific level, I'm pretty sure it would disrupt with the like the gas compositions and you know all the impacts of the layers that we have that are surrounding the system, right?
1: Absolutely. And the way the light, different spectrums of light are supposed to enter our atmosphere and biosphere. It's really messing with our biosphere. No question Uh, about it. Yeah.
0: So I, I guess the next question I have for you is, how did you come to discover Ayurvedic medicine? Like I find that here in the West, Western medicine and Eastern medicine have a very drastically different approach and there's very limited exposure to Eastern medicine here. You first went to India in 2011 and you eventually went back in 2012. Was this trip the result of you discovering or hearing about the Ayurvedic methods?
1: I see. So let, so let me backtrack now because okay. now I'll tell you the whole story, right? Why yeah. even I chose, you know, chiropractic and then how chiropractic was the gate for me to enter what I was meant to do in life. Like that was the the first door that I had to enter, right? To to discover all of these other health modalities. So, so, okay, so when I was in college and I had to choose what I wanted to do as a healthcare, in healthcare, Mm -hmm. there were things that reminded me how I didn't like pharmaceutical meds because even as a young woman, uh, you know, a couple of situations came about and I talk about this in my book that like, for example, birth control pills, that when I was the first time that I had to take them, I got it from my doctor. But when I took it out of the thing and had, had it in my fingers to put it in my mouth, there was this pause. And for the life of me, I couldn't put it in my mouth. I never took birth control pills. I just couldn't. And it was intuition. It wasn't like I already had some knowledge about side effects and how it will disrupt my own hormonal system. There was just an intuitive knowing there wasn't even a thought, but you know, I brushed that aside without any thinking about, I just said, I'm not taking it. I don't know what's in it. I'm not sure how it's going to impact me. I'm not taking it. So a couple of years before that, I was like maybe 21. I was 20 pounds overweight and it was mainly my Western diet. That was a new thing. I had just come here. Like I have been, I had been here for a year and a half and I was like on fast food, McDonald's, la, 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 being I, at I, college, I know. you know. But I was also acting. And so some of these producers and people would tell me I need to lose weight because the camera already makes you look 15 pounds over what you are. And when you put on 15 pounds, that means you're 30 pounds overweight. In on camera. Yes, yes. One of them told me, go take this over the counter weight loss pill and it will ha- totally help you. I said, okay. And remember, I'm 21 years old. So I go buy it. We're talking about the, the 80s now. And don't yes. Yes. ask me my age. We we're talking about the 80s. <laughs> and so, and I mean, mid 80s. I go buy it. Back then it was Save On, not CVS. And I come home, same thing that happened two years later, happened also here. I took it in my hand. I had the glass of water ready. There was this pause. This was the first time. This pause. And just me looking at the pill in my hand, just the pause and silent. No thought. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But then another actor who lived close to where I lived in Santa Monica told me, let's go run and let's stop the fast food. And So I changed my diet and I went running. And later, I lost 10 pounds like in three months. And then, then I also went on a fast, a liquid fast and I lost another 10 pounds. And ever since then, I have been the same weight But I've also been, so anyways, in college, I told my counselor, I am not a fan of pharmaceuticals. as a medical doctor, I don't think I want to be doing medical doctor because I don't want to be prescribing pharmaceutical stuff. So then she said, then alternative medicine, like I said, what? She said acupuncture, chiropractic, physical therapy. And she didn't mention homeopathy. She didn't mention Ayurveda. And I said, okay, let me go check them out in practice. So I went check everyone out when I saw how chiropractors worked that's what took me back the memory lane when I was a child how chiropractors worked and I loved it like it was love at the first sight with the profession with what they did and with chiropractors in fact because they put their heart and soul into their patients so that's that's how I you know knew that was for me and then As a chiropractor, to answer your, to be more specific about the Ayurveda question, then as a chiropractor, a few years into my chiropractic practice, I went and I got certified in functional medicine and integrative medicine because I had so many patients that would come to me. Yes, they had pain, but they also had diabetes. They also had high blood pressure. They also had high cholesterol. They also had cancer. They also had autoimmunity, digestive issues. So I knew that I could help them If I further my knowledge, and I did that by functional medicine and nutrition and integrative medicine. So I was studying that. I mean, I was doing, I studied that and I was incorporating that with my patients and I was getting so many good results. And then a, a couple of personal health issues happened and I discovered yoga. So because of my busy practice, very successful single woman, I had six people on payroll, I had like, I was the healer, but I was also this business person. So I started having stress and anxiety and insomnia. So I discovered yoga for me, but the way it helped me was so transformational that I would incorporate some of the yoga postures that I was learning into therapeutic exercises that chiropractors give to patients anyway. And I started seeing much more deeper results and faster results with my patients. Then this passion grew. And in 2011, I I had already found in 2009, I had found this style of yoga that resonated with me really well, especially their meditations and Kriya meditations. And I started studying with them from 2009 to 2011. And in 2011, I went to India for the first time for a month and a half to experience living in an ashram, being on a silent retreat, like really delving deep into that. Then encouraged me in 2012 to go back and actually officially study yoga with masters and like, you know, people that are gurus. So for six months I lived there and actually got certified in Hatha yoga. And then I was, you know, given the title master of yogi. Yeah, and so when I was in India, during my Hatha yoga teacher training, they gave us an introduction to Ayurveda, an introduction to Ayurveda. I fell in love with it because it was almost like the missing link in my toolbox. The missing link was introducing the play of the elements, the five elements in the human system. And that's how unique each one of us is as it pertains to constitution. And that each constitution should be treated individually and a personalized care according to Ayurvedic constitution. So when I came back, I came back, it was all, you could say January of 2013, I came back. And in 2015, I found two schools that are very, top schools of Ayurveda in the U.S., in California, and I started studying Ayurveda in those two schools for three years. And I graduated in April of 2018 for the highest degree that you can get in Ayurveda in the U.S.
0: Okay. How does Hatha Yoga stand out or differ from, like, you know, the common yoga that we find here in the West, just out of curiosity?
1: So Hatha Yoga ha means sun, ta means moon. Hatha yoga is the most classical, the very origin of yoga in India. So it's the first original classical yoga out of which all other styles of yoga emerged. Mm. So it goes back thousands of years ago in India. That was the original. Then throughout the thousands of years, many masters and teachers modified it and brought in very, verific- you know, modifications and the varieties of the postures and different lineages branched out of Hatha yoga. Now, Hatha yoga is an eight limb yoga. It is not just physical. In the West, they have just taken the physical aspect of yoga, not the breath, not the mind, not the meditation not the yamas and yamas, how you are in relationship with the external world and how you are internally. Those are the first two limbs, yamas and yamas. And nobody in, like, actually they're breaking all the rules of yamas and yamas in yoga classes like wine yoga or goat yoga or beer yoga. Like they're completely skewing and Honestly, corrupting yoga, the way it was meant to be.
0: That makes a lot of sense. When I hear beer yoga, wine yoga, like it's kind of like, for example, when you told me about your moment of, you know, you're looking at the pill and you have that intrinsic, you know, that feeling of, no, this is not right. I feel like it almost as if you're cheating your body, right? So to me, I feel that by doing this, especially with beer yoga, whatever they're trying to incorporate, it goes against the, the whole, the core of yoga in itself. That's just my personal perspective on it. Yeah. Um... But I'm glad that you mentioned that because, yeah, like like you said, with that whole eight limbs, I totally agree. And, and I think that a lot of core activities, based, especially passed on from generation to generation, it could totally get skewed, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, schools of yoga in India are still very traditional, very like adhering to the eight limbs. But when it came to the U.S., you know, some Teachers just totally brought in only the physical aspect. So there are still many good yoga teachers, yoga studios that okay, they only do the physical yoga, but at least they're not corrupting it by adding beer and wine. You know, they're just teaching the <laughs> they're just teaching the physical part of hatha yoga, which is called asana. They're just teaching asana. That's great, you know. But uh, again, what happened is even with the great asana teachers and physical yoga teachers that are in the West, it has become more like a sport, like exercise activity. It has kind of uh, lost its spiritual aspect. Even though, even when you just practice asana with the right teachers, even in studios, even, you know, Western teachers, that still you're touched at the level of the spirit you're still going inward with the right teachers. There are many of them. I started with studio yoga, with teachers, the Western teachers, Pata yoga, Ashtanga yoga, Vinyasa, Iyengar, and their beautiful asana practices, beautiful physical practices. And, you know, a lot of those teachers embedded the spiritual aspects, even in a very minute way. But that's what, really flourished the whole yogic tradition inside of me and led me eventually to finding meditation and breath work through kriya meditation and yoga that led me finally to india
0: ah uh, okay this is such an interesting thing because i'll even share a little bit about myself like one of my main courses of martial arts is tai chi internal martial arts and for a lot of listeners i'll even say this like my teacher told me that, hey, the origins of martial arts actually came from India. In Asia, at least, uh, or China, there's the saying where martial arts came from either Wudang Mountain or the Shaolin. But I think it's very misconstrued that a lot of people don't realize that, hey, it's actually the monks from India actually came over and shared that knowledge. And there's actually so much deeper meaning in yoga because even me learning through or me going through like this whole history lesson and stuff. Yoga goes way beyond, and there's, if I'm correct, I can't remember what the actual martial arts is, the Indian martial arts. I think it's called, it goes, something goes by Priyantha Panku or something like that, but it goes hand in hand with yoga. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what it's called though.
1: In fact, the Hatha school that I went to, they have a school, but they start, they start young kids in it, Kalyani or something like that. But they, they depends on what part of India you're from. Mm-hmm. They call it different things.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: But yes, I know exactly. I mean, it's beautiful. It's almost yeah. like a dance and the way they, you know, and you're supposed to be so flexible. And that's why they, in the school that I went mm-hmm. for Hatha yoga, they tell us the history of that and that that is the origin of martial arts. Yes. Because yoga goes back to 15,000 years ago. Oh, yeah. They also told us that in the is the origin of martial arts. I also, when I was a teenager, I did practice Kung Fu. And my teacher did tell us about, he taught us stretches before Kung Fu. And yes, he, yes. he taught us Zen meditation. And he said that all of this has its origin in India, mm-hmm, even though mm-hmm. he trained as a Kung Fu master in China. Yeah, but, yeah.
0: yeah. And I think, now this I can't verify fact-wise for sure, but this is what i have told from a lot of my teachers where, If you go to the Shaolin temples and look at the scripts and whatsoever, there's tribute back to India, and I just find that very, very interesting. You mentioned about the Ayurvedic practices, and can you tell us more about like the basic principles? Because I know at first you talked about the five elements. Would this be, from what I've learned, I would assume it's like fire, water, metal, wood, and air. Is that is okay? So
1: that's the Chinese five Chinese medicine. Oh,
0: okay. So it's different then.
1: Chinese medicine and Ayurveda are similar. But also okay. they have their differences. So in Ayurveda, the five elements, we say that the entire universe, including the human body, is made up of five elements. The element of air, I'm sorry, earth, water, fire, air or wind, space or ether. Oh, okay. So we, we say wood is earth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We say wood is a subcategory of earth.
0: Uh, and metal
1: okay. is also earth because you find metals in earth. Yes. So it has the same characteristics.
0: Okay. So there's, cause there's also like the three body types, right? In Ayurvedic. So how does that tie into these elements?
1: Yes, exactly. So we say that, okay, we have the five elements of earth, water, fire, air, and space. Yes. And then. Each two of these join together and find and, and form a constitution or a dosha. So there are three constitutions or three doshas. Okay. The element of earth and water come together and join the element of uh, the dosha or constitution of kapha. The element of air and space come together and they form the constitution or dosha of vata. And fire and water join and form pitta the constitution of pitta. So you have kappa, vata, and pitta. These are the three constitutions or three doshas. So basically, then we look at pitta and we look at what happened. Okay, so before we go there. So what happens is in Ayurveda, we say that these elements have their own characteristic traits and qualities. For example, Mm -hmm. the element of air is cold, dry, sharp, mobile, and unstable, for example. Air. Space is very similar, but it's more stable. Uh, It's cold, dry, sharp, you know, and stable. And then we say that fire is unstable, is fluid or mobile. Actually, we say it's ungrounded and, and fluid. It's hot, it's sharp, and it has light. So we have like, we attribute different, not only it has light as in like light rays or whatever, but it's also light, it's not heavy. Also air and space are also light, they're not heavy. Now, whereas earth and water are heavy, earth is uh, stable and grounded and it is cold because unless you had at fire, or if you didn't have the sun, the entire planet would be freezing cold, right? So it's cold, heavy, stable, grounded. And then water is moist, is heavy, is stable, it's fluid. So there are all these different qualities, many, many different qualities that each element holds. And when they join together to form the constitutions, the three doshas or constitutions, they bring those qualities with them. So for example, when you look at someone who has more fire and water element, predominantly that's a pitta dosha. And we say that pitta dosha has the combination of those qualities of water and fire. So for example, if someone is pitta, they are a little bit unstable because of the fire in them but not as unstable as vata, which is air and space, because that's very ungrounded, very unstable. And then we say that pitta person is usually warm, they're oily, semi, you know, we're not saying that every, like maybe they have oily scalp, oily skin, they're prone to acne. So like that, we have qualities for each dosha. And we say based on that, the qualities of the dosha or the elements, they gravitate towards certain things. They have predispositions for certain conditions. They're structurally different. They're physiologically different. They're psychologically different. And so when you treat each person, you don't treat them the same way. You look at their constitution, their unique constitution, and you accordingly give them a diet Give them a lifestyle, give them the herbs. So, you don't necessarily give the same herbs to the same people for the same condition. No, you look at their unique constitution and accordingly treat them.
0: It's not like that size, it's all the cookie cutter fix, right? So, with these constitutions or doshas, it could relate really anywhere from our physical to our mental to our to the, the way our organs are. And it really applies to all those attributes, right? So. Is it possible for one person, let's say, being of one constitution, naturally transitioning and changing to another constitution type? Or is one person always fixed towards a certain constitution?
1: Uh, it's, a, it's a very good question. It's a very good question. In fact, it's, a, it's the reason that a lot of people do quizzes online to determine their constitution and they find that, oh, they're this, but then they come to a practitioner or a professional, and you are told completely something different. Because at the time of your conception, you have a set constitution, we call it Mm prakruti. Your prakruti or your set constitution is almost like your elemental DNA, and it never changes. It's at this time of conception. However, as you live on this planet, and you do not live in harmony with your original constitution, you start to develop what we call vikrutis. Vikrutis are changeable. And that is the constitution at the present moment or the nature of a condition or a tendency. So if you're born with a pitta or a vata constitution or a kappa, but then you're born in a culture or family that basically and, and exaggerates. Let's say you're a pitta, but that uh, that's, you know, culture or that family or that environment aggravates your air and space. Now you're having tr- more traits of, of air and space and some imbalances that are vata in nature. That's your vikruti that can change throughout one's life. And so people who go online and do these quizzes, a lot of times they're answering, they're mixing up by answering procruti and vikruti, and they're mixing these two up and they don't come up with their actual constitution at the time of conception, but rather a mixture of things and they're like confused and they're like, okay, am I really like that? And then they come to me or a practitioner or, a, expert and we tell them what is their prakruti and what is their vikruti. Then we treat them accordingly, according to the prakruti, their constitution at the time of conception and their current vikruti. And we'll treat the current vikruti in accordance with their prakruti.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So then is there like a deep stem or relation between Ayurvedic practices and yoga?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Such a good question. Absolutely. So Ayurveda is yeah. the sister science of yoga.
0: Oh, wow. OK.
1: So why is that? Because there are classical you know, texts that are varied, class- like go back to thousands of years ago. There are four texts of yoga that are Vedantic texts or Vedanta from uh, Vedanta. And they are four and they are thousands of years old, right? There is four texts. Ayurveda is found in two of those. Rig Veda and Arthrava Veda are the origin in terms of texts, you know, and written scriptures are concerned, has been found and extracted from those two texts of yoga, Arthrava Veda and Rig Veda. So, Ayurveda is the science of or the knowledge of life for a yogic living but, but understand that thousands of years ago when yoga was prevalent on the planet everybody was trying to be a yogi everybody in a sense right and so it was the science the medicine for longevity for mm-hmm. longevity a long life so the aspirant can reach enlightenment in a healthy body and a healthy mind. We said that if the yogi is not healthy, you cannot do what is needed to reach enlightenment or liberation. Mm -hmm. So then Ayurveda was introduced to the yogis through the text so they could live a long, healthy life so they can reach their spiritual goals.
0: So with yoga in the West, like there's actually so much more potential that we could also be harnessing and utilizing, too, then, from that sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, talk about the West, too. So for yourself, what are some major highlights and differences when comparing Ayurvedic practices with Western medicinal practices? Like, I think one thing that stands out to me is the approach of prevention versus treatment, right? But yeah, what what would be some major highlights or differences that you believe uh, that stand out to you?
1: Yeah, so philosophy of Ayurveda... And the approach of Ayurveda and the approach of other healing modalities like chiropractic, home, holistic medicine, naturopathic medicine is the same. The same philosophy where we say that healthcare should not be about treatment of a condition, but it should be about prevention and eradicating the cause of disease. Eradicating the cause, not merely treating the symptoms in western medicine they just try to mask the symptoms by some medication right or by you know some form of pharmaceutical stuff right so they're trying to mask the symptom like you have some skin condition or autoimmunity and they give you steroids because what do steroids do they're diminishing, decreasing your immune system. Therefore, you don't get that autoimmune reaction or the skin reaction, for for example, hives or whatever. So what are they doing? They're not curing or taking care of the actual disease or getting rid of the cause. They're lowering the immune response to whatever is causing the autoimmune reaction by the immune system and therefore helping with the symptoms, if at all. Because a lot of times, you know, a lot of patients are not getting results even from the pharmaceutical there that are supposed to help with their symptoms. Even the symptoms are not going away, but rather they're having side effects. So additional symptoms, which are called side effects, where in fact, they're not side effects, they're effects.
0: You're yeah. giving yeah. someone
1: poison or something that is going to and they manage their immune system, and you're calling the effects side effects. No, they're the effects. You want to call it side because financially that besuits you. You know, I'm talking about pharmaceutical companies. Mm-hmm. And so, so this approach of Western medicine that one size fits all. I'm gonna give a steroid to all these people with Crohn's disease because they have the same disease. I disregard the whole person. And I just give the same medication to everybody with Crohn's disease. I'll do the same chemotherapy for everybody with cancer. So number one, it's a culture of one size fits all, cookie cutter approach. And number two, prevention is taking an aspirin. That's prevention. Hello, what about lifestyle? (laughs) What about diet? You know, you want to avoid someone having a stroke or if, if their cholesterol is what, take an aspirin to prevent like heart disease or a stroke. That's your prevention, really? Yeah. Or take your vaccinations to prevent. So are you kidding me? That's prevention? They don't look into the lifestyle. So cause of the disease is usually either internal, which means what you're doing in terms of the foods you're eating, your mindset, your diet, your daily routines, whether or not you have self-care, exercise, et cetera, or yeah. yeah. your environment, toxicities. Are you in an in a toxic environment? We're talking about air, you know, soil, food, pesticides, insecticides. In addition to that, electromagnetic toxicity, electromagnetic uh. radiation, which is now another additional environmental toxicity. So the major difference is this, that they try to mask the symptoms. It's a cookie cutter, one size fits all, and there is no prevention. There is no talk about prevention. And they don't eradicate the cause. Whereas all the, these things are totally the opposite in Ayurvedic medicine. We treat, we eradicate the cause first, nidana. And nidana is the cause in Ayurveda. So we eradicate the Nidana first by looking at someone's lifestyle, diet, mindset, activities, daily routine.
0: It's lovely to see that you're so passionate about this. And I was going to ask, all this information too, I, I would assume can be found in your new book, Holy You, correct?
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. It has 11 chapters. Okay. It's 170 pages. I teach at the university also where I studied Ayurveda. I teach there. Yes. Uh, yes. Southern California University of Health Sciences. And all of my students tell me that you teach with such a clear and concise manner. And I put the same style in my book. So when you read those 11 chapters, everything I'm telling you now, plus more in a very clear to understand, concise, kind of a summary, but it will give you actionable steps in your daily life that you could apply those simple principles
0: ah okay so we're about to wrap up this podcast and I got three more questions for you then first question i have is then is there one book you would recommend to our listeners that was most impactful to you and your development in becoming who you are today
1: Mm -hmm.
0: or maybe a resource it doesn't have to be a book
1: yeah so i read this book when i was a teenager i maybe i was 16 maybe i was 17 But I read it again, like, about 20 years ago. So there is a gap between when I was 17 and when I, 20 years ago. Anyways, again, my age joke. Man's, man's search of meaning. Victor Frankl.
0: Love that. I have read it.
1: So, like, when I read that book, it never escapes me. Like, it was, I was always thinking about the principles of the book. Like, the story.
0: Yes. of his,
1: how he survived the, the camps um, or people who survived the Auschwitz camps, et cetera. And that was completely an eye-opener for me. And that was like the very first book that I read as a teenager. But there are, yeah, but there are books that I read afterwards that were really amazing to me. Like, for example, Many Lives, Many Masters by Dr. Wise. I don't remember his first name, but he's a psychiatric medical doctor. He used to be teaching at the University of Princeton, but he had his private practice. And I read that about, gosh, 20 years ago. Many lives, many masters. Um, Another one was Celestine Prophecy. So some of these books that I read uh, have a spiritual mysticism kind of tone to them as well. Yeah, but yeah. nonetheless, they're so eye opening, so motivating, and yeah, so these are the three that you know come at me right now.
0: Oh, I want to thank you for sharing, and especially when you mentioned Viktor Frankl's book Man Search for Meaning, I feel like. Due to our time constraint, we have today, but I feel like there's a whole realm in Ayurveda. I would assume there's a whole realm in Ayurvedic medicine that dives into the whole mental aspect of how one goes into it. And maybe, maybe if opportunity persists in the future, we can maybe <laughs> discuss this further on. But um, yeah, absolutely.
1: Next question. Yeah, definitely, oh, Ayurveda sorry. addresses Ayurveda addresses the mind. Absolutely, it's
0: it's a huge talk from my understanding, or from a lot of Eastern uh, practices, medicine. But I guess next question I have is. What does being first generation mean to you? Now, I use this term a little bit more metaphorically. So I use this as a term. I define someone as first generation, as someone that has paved their own definition and path of success on their own terms, no matter the hardships, the, the negativity you had to go through. And uh, they just continue going because essentially many people walk similar paths, but nobody walks the exact same path in our world, right? So that's how I define first generation. So if I was to ask you, what does it take to be first generation? What does it mean to you?
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing the way that you define it. You know, the very fact that I feel I decided to even leave the country of my origin. And that was like, you know, when I did that, like I was 19 years old and that was my decision. Because somewhere deep inside of me, I knew that my path would only open up Mm -hmm. if I left. And it wasn't even my parents' decision. They supported me. But I knew that I had to do this on my own. I had to pave my own way to my ultimate, uh, you know, self actualization basically. And yeah. mm-hmm. I did it. Uh, there was a lot of struggles, you know, as an immigrant, you know, a very young person without any support. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from a middle-class family. My parents weren't rich. So it's not like when I left Iran, I had all the financial support or anything like that. I had to do it on my own. And uh, it was a lot of ups and downs. There was hardship. But I just went and I just, you know, I wouldn't look back. If I would fall, I would get up and go again. And, And honestly, not hesitating when an opportunity arises is one of the keys, like if you get analysis paralysis type of thing, then, you know, movement forward will become very difficult in one's life. Yes. So yes. like this is what I also tell my millennials when I m- mentor them, that they're stuck because they analyze all these paths and I'm saying just decide and take action because your constant hesitation has made you stagnant for the last five years. Just do it, pick one thing and that thing will move you forward. That will open up other doors and other windows that right now where you are right now, you cannot see, you cannot envision. They will only present themselves when you take the risk, take the chance, go for it. Uh. And I feel like that was my uh, kind of attitude even when I chose to live the comfort of my home with my parents and Iran and I left and came to completely a different country that I took the leap.
0: Yeah, I love it. And a lot of resiliency and just taking action. So last question I have for you to wrap this up. Where can we find you on social media? Where can we find more details about Dr. Tusa Dadi and your work online?
1: Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so my website, www yourvitalitydoctor.com, yourvitalitydoctor.com. And the doctor is spelled out. And there are many resources there. I also have a page allocated to my books coming up. So you could get, you could sign up with my newsletters or even just to receive information when the book goes on Amazon. And also I'm, I'm on Instagram at Dr. Atusa And you know, my name is A-T-O-U-S-A. M-A-H-D-A-V-I Atusama Devi. So I'm on Instagram. Again, my website is there. I also have a Hatha Yoga website, but if you Google me, Dr. Atusama Devi, you'll get a lot of information.
0: Awesome. Now, for our listeners, I'll be listing these details in the episode description below, so be sure to check those out, especially her book. We've, we've only scratched the surface of our conversation today and if you feel more intrigued and interested i highly recommend you checking out her book and matusa thank you so much for coming on to the podcast it was an honor to have you on for you to share your knowledge
1: thank you so much thank you it's a pleasure to be here and speak with you
0: hope you enjoyed the show you can follow us on instagram and subscribe to us on youtube at first Generations podcast for any questions, comments, and inquiries, please reach out to Aaron at firstgenerationspodcast.com. That is A-A-R-O-N at First Generations Podcast.com. Stay tuned for the next episode.